if you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to open up the book of Proverbs. <clears throat> we have a few more, uh, few more weeks we'll be there in Proverbs. We're in Proverbs chapter 10, which brings us into a new section in the book of Proverbs. So, if you remember, when we talked about Proverbs, one of the things I said was the first nine chapters are introduction. It's like a um, message from a father to his son. If you kind of want to put it in some kind of context, it's like David's message to Solomon before he becomes king. Now keep in mind, when Solomon becomes king, you know, he is very young. See, Solomon is either 8 or 12. Which is it, John? Oh, good, then I'll go with 8, because it's younger, huh? Sure. I know, though. In fact, Solomon's so young, God get, changes his name. Changes his name to Jedediah to call him the Beloved One. And so he, God gives him a blank check, right? Everybody remember the story? God gives him a blank check. Hey, what do you want, Solomon? What do you need to, to rule, to lead this people? And he asks for wisdom. After I just want you to consider, after reading the first nine chapters of Proverbs... That'd be a good idea if you were the kid, right? Here's the dad saying, you need wisdom, you need wisdom, you need wisdom. So what's he do? I need wisdom. And God was so blessed and pleased with his answer. Not only did he give him wisdom, he gave him everything he didn't ask for. He blessed his kingdom like no other. So now when we come to chapter 10 of Proverbs, and we go from 10 to 22, these are the Proverbs of Solomon. Wise sayings that he brought together from a variety of sources. Okay, these are not all necessarily original, but they're all gathered by Solomon, put together in a book to say, man, these are sayings that we want to hold fast to. <clears throat> the idea of a proverb is a general truth. It's a general truth, and it is the emphasis that was laid out for us in the first nine chapters is following a proverb puts you on which path, life or death? Life, 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 life. And so over and over again, we're going to see those. Now, I want you to understand some of the differences that we're going to see in some of the Proverbs. I want you to be able to kind of recognize the different styles, I guess. So right before we read chapter 10, I wanted to go through them. There's what's called the antithetical. The antithetical proverb is a... Is a um, it's parallelism. It's taking two things and putting them together, okay? Like... A wise son brings joy to his father. A foolish son is a mother's bane. We'll see that here in a minute. So the idea is taking two contrasting things, antithetical, they're not the same, and then laying them next to each other and sitting back and looking, and, and then ultimately asking us this question, which one's the path of life? Everybody tracking with me okay? Which one's the path of life? <clears throat> which one's not? Next, we have what's called synonymous parallelism. That's lining up two things that are the same, doing the same thing. Here's two thoughts, set back, and let's look at those two thoughts. Uh, and they, it would be like this. Pride comes before disaster and arrogance before the fall. Two things that are the same, described in similar ways, helping us to take a look at what's laid out. Uh, you also have what's called the continuous sentence proverb. So what that is, it's taking the twofold shape of a saying, but running the thought into a second line, like this. 
A strong man who trusts in the fear of the Lord will be a refuge for his sons. So just putting it together, running the thought all the way through. Next, there'll be comparisons. There'll be comparisons in which they take two judgments are offered, but instead of black and white decisions, you'll have something like this. If the, if the righteous is in the land, if the righteous in the land get their deserts, how much more the wicked and the sinner? So something that you can see that will be the same comparing in the same way. And we'll see a few of those tonight, so hopefully that'll help a little bit in the explanation. And then the statement and explanation, it goes like this. A king's threat is like a lion's roar. One who ignores it is his own worst enemy. Statement, explanation. Here's the statement, here's the explanation. So we're going to see all these in the next uh, 12 chapters. They don't necessarily follow a specific thought. So we're just going to take a proverb at a time. Everybody with me? Take a proverb at a time, take a look at it. What kind is it? What's the message of the proverb? Now, here's the problem. Proverbs, like, um, like uh, parables, sometimes we want to put too much weight into it. Does that make sense to you guys what I'm saying? Sometimes you can hear a proverb of Jesus and you start adding all these things into the proverb. And you start making everything mean something else. And pretty soon the proverb is teaching an awful lot of stuff maybe that's not there. So we want to be careful that we don't do that. We want to recognize the same truth is true of a proverb. What's a proverb's job? It's just to give us the, the road. What's the road of life? What's it look like? Where does it lead? What, what choices am I making to be on the road of life? What choices am I making if I'm not on the road of life? And look down at my feet and see what road I'm on. So we want to recognize it's, that's kind of the rule. So we don't want to pile a bunch of stuff on a proverb. We want to let the proverb carry its own. So let's look at them together. Proverbs 10, we'll read through the whole chapter and then we'll take it apart. The Proverbs of Solomon. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. A slack hand causes poverty. But the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in the summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in the harvest is a son who brings shame. Blessings are on the head of the righteous, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. The memory of the righteous is a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. The wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. Now, whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. Whoever winks the eye causes trouble, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. On the lips of him who has understanding, wisdom is found. But a rod is for the back of him who lacks sense. The wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. The wage of righteousness leads to life. The gain of the wicked to sin. 
Whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. The one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver, and the heart of the wicked is of little worth. The lips of the righteous feed many, but the fools die for lack of sense. The blessing of the Lord makes rich. He adds no sorrow with it. Doing wrong is like a joke to a fool, but wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. What the wicked dreads will come upon him, but the desire of the righteous will be granted. When the tempest passes, the wicked is no more, but the righteous is established forever. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. The hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. And the way of the Lord is a stronghold to the blameless, but destruction to evildoers. The righteous will never be removed, but the wicked will not dwell in the land. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut off. And the lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverse. Let's pray. Father God, we lift this time to you, Lord, and we pray, God, that you would just bring to our remembrance and to our understanding, as we study your word, God, the many places and the many ways in which we see these truths exemplified in your word. God, I pray that you might give us a hunger to understand and comprehend, to realize when we come to your word, there is always treasure to be found. Lord, we pray that you would lead us in that endeavor tonight as we give you blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we start with the first one. 10-1, This talks about wisdom and its effect on others. Wisdom and its effect on others. Look how it's spoken of. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. So the idea, the consequences of wisdom or folly in a child affects the parents, reflects on the parents. How's that? Reflects on the parents. All I know is this, as a, as a father of old age with children who are grown and having their own family, it causes me great pleasure when my children are doing well and great angst when they're not. Any fathers or mothers would disagree with that idea? So we have this concept laid out for us, right? Here in the Word of God, here's the, here's the path of life, man. A, a wise son makes a glad father. Now that's a message to me too. Because when I'm being a wise son, I'm, I'm doing something that's pleasing to my parents, right? That's gratifying to them. I might find myself on the path of life. Next we have in verse 2, righteousness. What's the value of righteousness? Look at it. Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. Now you have that same comparison that we've been talking about through Proverbs. Which road are we talking about? Life or death? Righteousness, life or death? Which is it? Wickedness. Which road is it? So when we look at it and it says, the treasures that the wicked find aren't any good, does that mean a a wicked person will never be rich? That's not what it's saying. What's it saying? He doesn't find the most important treasure of all, does he? The wicked person doesn't have the most important treasure at all, so what does that mean? That means what he does have doesn't lead to life. 
Now the righteous do. Now are they are we white righteous by our own acts? According to Genesis, which is Old Testament by the way, are we righteous by our own acts? Scripture lays out for us Abraham believed God and what? It was accounted to him for righteousness. Abraham believed. He had faith. He trusted God and it was accounted to him righteousness. Righteousness is a gift we receive from God. And that righteousness delivers us from death. Yes? Though we may die physically, we will never die spiritually. The second death is not for us. We look forward to a greater treasure than that that can be won by the wicked getting away with whatever they get away with here on earth. Does that make sense? What road are we on? Path of life or the path of death? Look at verse 3. talks about rewards. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry. But he thwarts the craving of the wicked. Now, I know that this can't mean that the righteous never go without a meal. Can it? Because I can take you a lot of places around the world where the righteous are going without a meal right now. But we get to spend a little time in the, in the language and here's what we discover. He is saying that the righteous are going to find satisfaction and the wicked won't. The righteous will find satisfaction and the wicked won't. What's that mean? That the righteous... They're going to find satisfaction in their relationship with Christ. And the wicked, though they may pile up as many treasures as they want to, they're not going to find satisfaction. Is that true or false? Because when we look at the world, isn't that what we see in the world? How many people have we watched, have you and I looked at, that look like they have everything, but they despair of life? And how many, how many times do we have to see somebody who looks like they have it all together give up and commit suicide or, or you know, run to suicide as a savior rather than, than to the Lord. And when they do that, when, when that, what are they crying out? I'm not satisfied. I've had everything this world has to offer and this isn't it. And so I give up. Yes? So the scripture is laying out for us. We find our righteousness in Christ. We will find satisfaction. We'll be filled. Jesus said, come unto me, all you who labor. Jesus said, come unto me if you're hungry. What, I will give you? Yeah, he's laying out this idea for us. In fact, the word declares to us, Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Come to me, and I'll give you something so you're never hungry again. Well, that didn't mean that I would never be physically hungry, right? It means he's going to fill my spiritual need, and I'll discover satisfaction. Yeah, it is possible to discover satisfaction in Jesus Christ. And in Christ alone the lord does not let the righteous go hungry but he thwarts the cravings of the wicked the wicked don't find their satisfaction look at verse four talking about wealth a slack hand causes poverty but the hand of the diligent makes rich what's he saying lazy man's going to be poor a man who's diligent is going to amass wealth laziness is not going to be rewarded so we have this idea. He's going to come back to that concept in a minute. But the, the thing is, careless, lazy work is not going to get it done. Have we experienced that in life? It's true or false, right? True or false, the lazy man, he's not going to have what is necessary. In fact, in the next one, he gives us this concept about the diligence of idleness, or, or the opposite of idleness. Look at verse 5. He who gathers... In summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son that brings shame. 
Again, I told you, as parents, we want to see our children do well, right? We want to see them be successful in their endeavors. Well, a successful son's not sleeping during harvest. When it's harvest time, when it's working time, he's working. The rest of the time, you do whatever you got to do. But when it's working time, you work. And that's what Scripture is laying out for us here. He's saying, he who gathers, when it's time to gather, he's awake at the time of harvest. He is a good son. The question is, what road is he on? Verse 6 talks about rewards again. Blessings are on the head of the righteous, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. So which is it? Blessings or violence that comes out of your mouth? It says blessings flow off the head of the righteous. It's the same picture. Out of the mouth of the fool comes violence. The fool is always looking to get his revenge, his, his uh, violence poured out. That ideal. The wicked wants violence. The, the uh, righteous want to give blessing. Pour out blessing. The Bible says... Somebody has a specific job of vengeance in our worldview. Who is that? Yeah, the Lord gets to do the vengeance, right? He knows how to do it best. Would you agree? He knows all the issues we don't understand, so we should give vengeance to him, right? So then what flows from our mouth, what flows from our being is blessing. What greater blessing is it than to share the gospel with somebody? They may not like it. You want to have a short conversation with somebody who just wants to yell and scream at you? Start talking to them about Jesus. It'll be short. Yeah, for sure, huh? They'll be like, oh, well, blah, 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 blah. But at least the opportunity was given for what? To pour out a blessing. If they don't want to pick up the blessing, that's not on you, is it? It's the, it's the attitude of giving. The righteous, they want to pour out blessing the wicked, they want to pour out violence. And it helps me look at myself. What's pouring out of my mouth? Violence or blessing? Violence or blessing? I want to be... What did James tell us? When we talk about maturity, when we talk about maturity in the life of a believer, what was the first thing that he was able to control? Tongue. Tongue, right? That's all I'm talking about here. Tongue. We're not talking about anything else. We're not talking about whether or not you have the right to self-defense or not self-defense. I'm just saying what comes out your mouth. Violence or blessing. From the righteous proceed blessing. Verse 7 talks about a reputation. The memory of the righteous is a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. The idea is that what, what do people know? What do people know about the righteous? How do they talk about the righteous? How do they talk about the wicked? We want that reputation that says that when we've left a circumstance, whether through death or some other reason, we're, not, we're no longer there. The, the talk that goes about isn't, oh, thank God that guy's gone. What a jerk. I can't stand that. Right? They might say, thank God that guy's gone. He won't stop talking about Jesus. That's different. But, but what's the reputation? What's left behind in the wake? Many funerals I talked. We just did a, a service for Jerry Cox. And one of the things I said about Jerry was, one of the cool things about looking at the life of Jerry Cox is in her wake was goodness and mercy. 
what she left behind her, goodness and mercy. 23rd Psalm said, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The question here that I think this proverb is laying out for us is the same. What's in your wake? What do we leave behind when we're, when we, as we leave a place? We walk out of, we're visiting somebody in their house, we walk out of the house, we're somewhere else. What did we leave behind? What was there that was left behind us? Was it the, the uh, memory of the righteous, which is a blessing, or the name of the wicked that will rot? Next, he talks to us about conduct, wise and foolish conduct. Look at uh, verses 8 through 10. The wise of heart will receive commandments. A babbling fool will come to ruin. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely. But he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. Whoever winks the eye causes trouble. And a babbling fool will come to ruin. So several things he lays out here. And he mixes two antitheticals with a comparison. If we take a look at it. What does the wise do? The wise responds. Wise man responds to instruction. The Bible, it's already told us that several times in the chapters leading up to this. A wise man responds. So when the wise hears commandments, it does them. It does them. The idea is that when the wise hears what they ought to do, then that's what they go and do. But the next thing, the antithetical, the opposite of that, is a fool that won't stop talking and long enough to listen. He goes to ruin. That's what he's saying. The babbling fool. The fool that's just blah, 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 blah. Talk, 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 talk. Can't hear instruction. He goes to ruin. Wise man hears instruction. When he hears instruction, he receives it. And he goes on, but the fool is too busy talking to listen. The next antithetical statement that he gives is a wise has security walking in the truth. He's walking in his integrity. He's walking that narrow road. Isn't that what Jesus said? Narrow is the way. Few there are who find it. The way that leads to salvation. Wide is the way that leads to destruction. What's the next comparison in that antithetical statement? He who makes his way crooked, wandering to and fro, he will be found out. In other words, he won't have security. The other one is safe. The fool is not safe. Why is he not safe? He's not safe because he's on the road to destruction. Does that make sense? If narrow way is a way of life, spoken of by Solomon throughout the Proverbs, and the wide way is a way of destruction, if the fool is on the crooked path, which points to the wide way, then why is he going to see destruction? Because that's where that road goes. Does that make sense? And the road to life, that narrow road, it goes to life. He, one is secure, the other is not. And then you have a comparison in verse 10. Whoever winks the eye causes trouble. How many winkers we got in here? I just want to know who the troublemakers are. Don't act like you don't wink. I've seen some of them winks. What's the idea? What's what's he talking about here? If I wink, I'm in trouble. Uh, What he's saying, winking is like them shifty signs. Okay, What, what I mean. The idea of being a winker is like somebody who crosses their fingers behind their back when they say something. Right? So they don't have to do whatever they said. Remember when we were kids, we did that? Oh, no, it doesn't count. I had my fingers crossed. My legs crossed, whatever crossed. I had something crossed. So I don't have to do it. That's the idea. The shifty signs that those are, those kinds, those choices lead to trouble. But 
The babbling fool comes to ruin. Both things go the one way, but it says, in essence, shifty signs are bad, but a babbling fool is worse. Shifty signs are bad, babbling fool is worse. Next, in uh, 11 and 12, he goes on to speak about conduct, the difference good being good and evil. Verse 11, the mouth of the righteous is, is, is a fountain of life. So the mouth of the righteous is on what road? Life, right? You guys tracking with me, yes? It's a way of life, narrow road, narrow road. The righteous one is walking on the narrow road. Why? Because he's so good or because he trusts God? Trust God. What makes a fool? A fool is on a road of destruction. What makes him a fool? A fool is said in his heart, there is no God. Do you see the difference? The fool rejects God, does not trust in God. That's the difference between the righteous and the fool. The righteous receives commandments. His life changes. He becomes little by little, a little more and more like the one he follows every day. The fool just keeps stumbling down the way of destruction. Everybody tracking? So we want to be able to, to comprehend what's going on. So the mouth of the righteous like a fountain of life. If you're on the road of life, you ought to look like you're on the road of life. Amen? If I'm on the road of life, I ought to look like it. But the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. If you're on the road to destruction, your life's going to look like that as well. Right? What's in your wake? Goodness and mercy? Violence and destruction. Each one will see on the road, will be able to tell the road that we're walking. In verse 12, he says, hatred stirs up strife. But love covers all offenses. You guys ever known somebody who could stir up a problem no matter what was going on? Like, man, it's a sunny, shiny day, everything's good, but something's wrong? It's like, how do you live your... I mean, I'm a pessimist, but I'm not that bad. I can go outside and see the sun shining and enjoy it, shining sun. I can, I can go out on a beautiful day and enjoy that, but some people just can't do it. According to this verse, why is that? Because hatred stirs up strife. So what's the problem? Is the problem with the weather? Is the problem? The problem is internal. What's the internal problem? Hatred. Is hatred ever the way of life? Unless it's to hate evil. No. But the next thing that hatred is compared with is love. What does love do? Stir up strife? What's it say? Love does what? Love covers offenses. Isn't that crazy? Love will look at someone and say, Yeah, they're not quite there yet, but I can look past their failures and see the direction that they're moving. What road are they on? If they're on the road to destruction, what does love do? Yeah, come back to the right road. If they're on the road of life, what does, what does love do? It wants to edify, encourage, right? We're going to see those things as we look at what Scripture lays out for us today. So hatred stirs up strife. Hatred, is, it, is it ever okay to hate your brother as a believer? No. Jesus said, how can you say you love God whom you haven't seen? And you hate your brother whom you have. If you hate your brother, Jesus said, you can't love God. So we ought to figure out how to get that stuff 
under control, right? You know, a great thing, a great lesson that, that I have learned is to keep short accounts. You know how to keep short accounts? Do what the Bible says. It's not that complicated. You know what the Bible says? If I got a problem with a brother, what do I do? Does it say, if you got a problem with a brother, make an appointment with Jackie? Is that what it says? If you got a problem with a brother, go you with that person and make it right. I don't know why we fight against that so hard. Number one problem or issue within any church is that issue right there. I can't, some people just cannot make peace with each other. Jesus said, in as much as is possible for you, be at peace. So that means as far as you can go, you go as far as you can to make peace. That's a law. How far did Jesus go to make peace? The Bible says he died on the cross and made peace between God and us. So how far should we go? Does the Bible ever tell us we're supposed to die to ourselves? Does the Bible ever tell us we're supposed to die to our own desires? Crazy how that is. What if two people who have animosity between one another both die to themselves? Could they find peace? I think they can. I think they can. But according to James, what stops them? Pride. Look at you guys. You knew I was looking at you, huh? Jackie wants me to say pride. She felt it. It's pride. It's pride. We want to be able to put that away. Pride's not, pride does not walk the way of life. Pride is not on the narrow road. It's one of seven things God hates. So we put away that pride. And what, what's the opposite of pride? If we put away pride, what's that mean we walk in? Humility. Hmm. Isn't Jesus called the humble king? Isn't that what we want to be? Those are the things, man. That, I mean, that's a, what I love about Proverbs, guys, it's just nuts and bolts. Right? It's a hammer and nail. You can use it to build a house. You can use it to bash somebody's head in. The tool is just the tool. But here it is laying out for us. Hey, man, I want to make sure I'm walking the road of life. I want, to, I want to walk that path of life. Lord, what's that look like? What should I be doing? What should I be spending my days doing? Well, he says, don't be lazy. Take your hands and work. Does that say that anywhere in the New Testament? Sure it does. Ephesians chapter 4. Let the lazy man who steals, steal no longer, but working with his hands, let him make something that's good so that he has something to give to him who has a need. Yeah, for sure. It's the same stuff. All throughout the Word of God, guys, we can see these ideas working their way through. Well, look at the, look at the next one, verse 15. He's talking about wealth, and he makes wealth a picture of security. A rich man's wealth is his strong city, and the poverty of the poor... Is there ruin? Now, is there anything wrong with the poor? Did he just say there's something wrong with them? Nope. But he says when you're poor, your world's a little different than when you're rich. How many of us know that? When you're rich, do you have more ability to do things? Can you see better doctors? Can you get better lawyers? Can you have a little bit better shot at life? Yes or no? Yeah. So is it, it's true. Wealth is a man's security. Poverty is ruined. Yeah, the poor have been suffering since the dawn of time, haven't they? Yeah, it's not a, it's not a, 
criticism of the poor, but it is an idea that says, hey, here's what it is. Here's what life, here's the difference between the rich and the poor. Not, these guys are good, those guys are bad. These guys have security and these guys don't. That's the point. That's the point that he's laying out. Now he's going to come back to that in a moment. And I think it's important for us to see that comparison, but it's going to be in a few verses. Next we see uh, rewards about life or ruin. What road are you on? Look at verse 16. The wage of the righteous, what's it say? Leads to life. What road is that? Narrow road like Jesus talked about, right? The narrow way that leads to salvation. The gain of the wicked to sin. In other words, if you follow the way of the wicked, you will miss the mark. The way of the righteous leads to life, but if you follow the wicked, you will miss the mark. How many of you guys know that's what sin means? Sin's not some fancy word that the church has churchyized. We turn it into iniquity or something, but literally what it means is to miss. I'm trying to get to A and I ended up in B. Right, So the, the wicked guy who's on that wide road that everybody else is on, he wants to come to life too, doesn't he? Nobody gets on the road and says, hey, I, you know what, I, I want to take the road to death. Well, there may be a handful. Right on, knock yourself out. But most people want to get to where, but they think that's the way they're going to get there. What's the point here? It leads to sin, which is what? To miss the mark. You're not going to end up where you want. You can't get where you want to get because you're on the wrong road. Again, he emphasizes this idea of these two paths. The road of the wicked misses the mark. So then he moves to discipline in verse 17. So whoever heeds instruction is on the path of life. We, we see it, right? You guys starting to see it in Proverbs where it's talking about these things? So if I heed instruction, what does that mean? If I hear what I ought to do and I do it, I'm a wise man who is walking on the right road. Make sense? I'm on the road that I want to be on. I'm on the road to life. But he who rejects reproof leads others astray. Think about what Jesus said. Wide is the way of destruction. And what's the next phrase? Many there are who find it. Why? Do you ever notice how people follow a crowd? You ever seen that? The crowd has no idea what they're doing. Or where they're going. But they're pretty sure somebody in front knows what they're doing. That's how the blind follow the blind and end up in a ditch, right? And occasionally there's, there's that rare individual who will stop and say, why are we all going this way? What, what are we doing? <laughs> this seems like the wrong path. So this, this idea, guys, we want to have the discipline that hears instruction. Where can you and I hear instruction today for the road of life? Through the Word of God, right? Through the word of God, hear that instruction, allows it to allow it to change us, put us on the road we want to be on. Verse 18 talks about our speech. Look at it. The one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. So you have comparison again. This is not antithetical. Two things that are the same, laid down next to each other. The one who conceals hatred lies every time he opens his mouth. Right? Instead of dealing with my problems, I'm hiding it, and I'm hiding it behind clenched teeth. Can we tell most of the time when there's animosity behind those smiling lips? Yeah? So, saying, the one who conceals hatred, he lies, but whoever utters slander, 
is a fool. Utter slander. The idea of saying. So what's going on? This one has hatred for somebody, so he lies through his lips by trying to to continue a relationship that he's not unhappy about or pretend he's not unhappy about or upset with. And then what happens? As soon as that person leaves, what does he do? Slanders. To who? The first person who will listen. Oh, that guy's an idiot. Yeah, we do that all the time. Road of life, road of death. Path to life, path to destruction. Stop excusing it in our own behaviors and say, you know what, that's not, that's not the road of life. I'm going to learn, I'm going to receive instruction, I'm going to hear the reproof, right? If i got a problem with somebody, I should say, i got a problem, can we have peace, you know? Do your best to make peace, die, do whatever you got to do to make that peace, and then stop slandering, one, and two, stop listening. If somebody wants to slander somebody else, tell them, you know who you should be talking to? That person. Instead of telling me about what you're upset about with whoever, you, you don't tell me you're upset with Kathy, go talk to Kathy. Right? And then don't go bad-mouthing her to everybody you can find. Go talk to her. Isn't that what the Bible says to do? That's the road of life. Hear instruction. Learn from that instruction. We want to be people who do that. We want to be people whose tongue is mature, right? Like James called us to. Next we see controlled speech. Look at verse 19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. That means, that's a different way of saying we should listen twice as much as we talk. What did he say? When you talk too much, you make a bunch of messes. Shh. Don't talk so much. Talk less. Listen more. Right? You with me? The word, when words are many, transgressions not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. The one who controls his tongue is a grow up, grown up. The one who controls his tongue is a grown up. He goes on with this idea of speech in verse 20. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver, and the heart of the wicked is of little worth. See, that means that the righteous, what the righteous say has value. It edifies, it builds up, stirs up, cheers up, should be positive. But for the wicked, the wicked, the heart of the wicked has little worth. Why? Because what's in wicked? What road's he on? Destruction. So what's his actions going to do? Destroy. Today, maybe not. Tomorrow, I don't know. Next day, sooner or later, that's the road. That's the road you're on, the road to destruction. Why do you think the Bible says, let not a believer and an unbeliever be unequally yoked together? Why does it say that? You're on two different roads, going to two different places. How's that going to work? That's not going to work good. Right? Right? So, we want to have that. We want to see the difference in our lives. Now he goes on to wealth, the blessing of wealth. Look at it here again in 22. Keep in mind what we talked about earlier. The blessing of the Lord makes you rich. And he adds no sorrow with it. So, then if I'm really blessed by God, I'm wealthy. Is that what this says? I'm really blessed by God. I got a lot of money. No, that's not it. What's it saying? It's saying that the Lord himself is our treasure. The Lord himself. The blessing of the Lord. The blessing of, from, out of the Lord. The blessing that comes from a relationship with the Lord God Almighty makes you rich. And there's no sorrow with it. 
Why? Because that road leads to what? Life. That road leads to life. In Psalm 127 it says, Unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward. God is saying, man, unless I'm in it, whatever you got isn't worth anything. You can have it all. But you'll be like the wicked who find no satisfaction. But if you have him, you have everything already. If you have him, you have everything already. There's nothing that we lack. There's nothing yet that we need. Next he says, in verse 23, he talks about the pleasure, good and evil. He says, doing wrong is like a joke to a fool. That means he don't care. A fool doing something wrong, what do he care? Why? Where's his moral compass point? To whatever makes it life better for him, right? So a fool, what do they care? Doing wrong? Stop trying to change the behavior of the lost and start trying to encourage the lost to become found. You're not going to change a man's morality unless his moral compass points to Jesus Christ. Now all of a sudden he goes, man, that's wrong. Does that make sense? If they don't have Jesus, stop trying to clean them up. That ain't going to work. We pass all the laws you want. We can pass all the moral laws that we need, but it won't change a man's heart unless Jesus Christ is there, right? At home, in his heart. Wisdom is a pleasure to the man of understanding. A man of understanding, man, is revealed. What one, one's character is revealed in what he enjoys. You enjoy the Lord, road of life. You enjoy wickedness, different road altogether. Yes? Man's character is revealed in what he enjoys, good or evil. Verse 24. A prospect for life. What the wicked dreads will come upon him, but the desire of the righteous will be granted. Now what does that mean? What the, what the wicked dreads. So I thought about this for a while. What do, you, what do you think the wicked dreads? I thought about it and I said, the wicked dreads that God is real. The wicked dreads that the day of the Lord is coming. What does the the righteous look forward to? The day of the Lord is coming. The day of the Lord is coming for the righteous. Woo! That's a great day. We see Jesus face to face. What's the downside there? For the wicked, that's a different day altogether, right? This is what the proverb, I believe, is is pointing to. I believe that is what he's saying. Look, the, the wicked dread the day of the Lord. The righteous desire the day of the Lord. And they're both going to get it. Right? The day the Lord returns. Then he talks about having confidence in calamity. When the tempest passes, the storm, the wicked is no more, but the righteous is established forever. You know, Jesus told a story about this. It's in Matthew chapter 7. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who did what? Built his house on a rock. And when the storm came, what happened? He was still standing. The foolish man built his house on the sand. Then the storm came to both of them, right? 
But his house fell down. Fell down. Now, my question to you is, is the storm just that tornado that comes through our neighborhoods? Or is the storm Jesus? Because Jesus is the one through whose hands all these things pass. And when Jesus, when Jesus' judgment comes on the wicked, is the wicked going to stand? If his house is built on the sand? Is this just talking about temporary time right now? You know, if I do everything God's word says and when the earthquake happens, my house won't fall? Is this saying when the tornado comes through my neighborhood, if I'm a Christian, it's going to miss my house? Maybe. Maybe it does. I won't say it won't. I won't say it won't, but I will say I don't think that's what this proverb's talking about. I think what this proverb's talking about is Jesus is my rock. I'm good to go forever. If Jesus isn't my rock, I'm not good to go no matter what. It's got to be that Jesus is our rock, our foundation. He's the way we survive. He has a, a proverb about lazy servants. Just do a couple more, guys. Hang in there with me. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the slugger to those who send him. Anybody ever been aggravated by trying to get a lazy man to work? Oh, so, so we can all get this, uh, this proverb, right? A little unpleasant. What about the fear of the Lord? Look at verse 27. The fear of the Lord prolongs life. What road? Road of life. The years of the wicked will be short. Is the years of the wicked going to be shorter than the years of the righteous? Well, they are if you look all the way to the end, ain't they? But eternal life with God looks awful good. Eternal life in hell, I'm not sure what that looks like. That can't be good though, can it? One in the presence of God, one without Him. One life, one destruction. Verse 28, the hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. Same thing. What's the hope of the righteous? The coming of the Lord. What's the expectation of the wicked? He won't ever come. He's not coming. Oops. Until one day he is there. What's the Bible say? He comes like a thief in the night. They say peace and safety, and all of a sudden, destruction comes upon them. Boom. Judgment of God. <clears throat> Verse 29, the security... The way of the Lord is a stronghold to the blameless, but destruction to the evildoers. Same concept. The way of the Lord is a stronghold to the blameless. Why? Because in the day of the Lord, in the day of judgment, we stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Not through any acts of our own, because of what He did for us and our faith in Him. Not our faith in faith, our faith in Him. Our trust in who He is. He becomes that stronghold for the blameless, but at the same time, the stronghold for the blameless is what for the evildoer? It's a bad day, right? Judge, thank God judgment day hasn't come. But the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, and then what? Yeah, so judgment day comes for everybody sooner or later. It comes for us all. It's a good thing to know what road you're on. Verse 29 the way of the Lord is strong. We just did that. Verse 30. The righteous will never be removed, but the wicked will not dwell in the land. So the righteous. The Bible, it's interesting because when you come to Revelation, remember Revelation 21, 22, new heavens, new earth. And one of the things it says about the new heavens and new earth is there's nothing there that causes a lie. There's nobody wicked. There's no, there's, 
that, that, that the evildoer is forever not there. So the righteous dwell eternally in the land. But the wicked are absent from it. The wicked aren't in the land. The wicked aren't in the land. They don't have it. The righteous do. They will enjoy the presence of the Lord, the presence of the King. Verse 31, the mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue, we got two proverbs of, of the, with the tongue next. The, the mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom. They edify, build up, cheer up, stir up. That should be the voice of righteousness. But the perverse tongue, the tongue that says all the things you shouldn't say, that should get cut off. Anybody got any scissors? Let that tongue go. The mature believer should be able to control his tongue. Verse 32, the lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverse. Wicked are always willing to go beyond prudent limits. You ever known people who just say whatever's on their mind? Yeah, my son Joseph does that. It's not pretty. Yeah, it's not. You ever had people that say, I've actually heard people say, you know what I love about children? They just say whatever they're thinking. No, they don't. And if they do, you should whoop them for it. Don't say whatever you're thinking. The Bible says a mature man controls his tongue. I should not say whatever I'm thinking. The Bible says slow down, listen, don't talk so fast. Wait. Yeah, Joe, when Joe blows up, nothing pretty about it. Nothing cute about it. Nothing good about it. I'll be so happy when that stage is over, but so far this stage has lasted like 10 years. So I don't know that it's a stage Maybe it's just life, I don't know. But we have to stop thinking that that's a way to live. It's not a way to live just to say whatever you think to somebody. That's not right. It is a way to live, to to deal with issues, to have whatever confrontations that we need to have, whatever. But those should be controlled, not a lack of self-control. The Bible says that that... Abusive language should never come out of our mouths. Caustic language should never come out of our mouths. Not sometimes, every once in a while. doesn't say, you know what, it's okay if you mess up. No, it says it shouldn't be there. Flowing out of this stream should not be bitter and sweet water. Salt and fresh. The tongue ought to reflect the one that it follows. That's the way of life. Everybody has an opportunity, right, to take a look at what the Word of God says like a mirror and say, what road am I on? What areas do I need to confess? What areas do I need to repent? And then we go on, right, because we continue to desire to follow the one who called us to the narrow path, whose name is Jesus, when he said, come, follow me. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray.